Welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 156, where we are in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, We concluded chapter 12 yesterday, so let's pick up with chapter 13. And the section title says, Israel's False Prophets Condemned. Let's get going. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord, This is what the Lord God says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. And so this is a very dire warning to the prophets of those days and the prophets of today. It says, woe to those who prophet out of, excuse me, who um, prophesy out of their own imagination. See, instead of prophesying what I tell them to prophesy. It says, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit. And they've seen nothing. We see a lot of this today, I believe, where people are prophesying out of their own desires, what they desire to see happen, instead of what the Lord is saying, if they are hearing anything from the Lord. And so this is a dire warning to prophets. It says in verse six, they saw false visions and their divinations were a lie. They claim this is the Lord's declaration when the Lord did not send them, yet they wait for the fulfillment of their message. It says not only are they prophesying out of their own imagination, saying what they want to say, I never even sent them. Verse 10, since they have led my people astray by saying peace when there is no peace, and since when a flimsy wall is being built, they plaster it with whitewash. Now, whitewash was a, 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 a substance that had no strength that just basically made the outer wall look nice. It was just a facade, a veneer, to make things look nice. It says, therefore, tell those plastering it with, white, uh, with whitewash that it will fall. <clears throat> so again, he's saying that uh, since they've led the people astray and, 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 and telling the people that peace, peace is your portion, peace is coming your way, and uh, this is a flimsy wall that they built with the people. He said he put whitewash on it. He, they made it sound good. They made it look good. So this is what the Lord says. I will release a whirlwind in my wrath. Torrential rain will come in my anger, and hailstorms will fall in destructive fury. I will demolish the wall you plastered with whitewash. I will demolish the lie that you've told, that you've been telling, and knock it to the ground so that its foundation is exposed, so that people will see that you're a phony. The city will fall, and you will be destroyed within it. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And it says, after I exhaust my wrath against the wall and against those who plaster with it with whitewash, I will say to you, uh, the wall is no more, and neither are those who plastered it. The lie that you were telling is no more, can no longer be believed. And those of you, those prophets of you, who who were using the whitewash... (laughs) It says, uh, you are going to be no more either. Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw a vision of peace, uh, for when there was no peace, this is the Lord's declaration. So he's saying to those prophets who were prophesying this peace, peace lie, you will be no more. Then it says in verse 17, now you, son of man, face the women, uh, excuse me, now you, son of man, face the women among your people who prophesy out of their own imagination and prophesy against them. So he says he's going to the prophetesses. 
<laughs> the women, the female prophets, he's going to them. And he said he's sending uh, Ezekiel to them to prophesy to them. <clears throat> prophesy against them, I should say. And so uh, it says, say, this is what the Lord says. Woe to the women who sew magic bands on the wrist of every hand and who make veils for the heads, uh, for the heads of people of every size in order to ensnare lives. And so these magic bands and these um, on the wrists and, and, and um, these veils for the head, they were like good luck charms, okay? And so this is what, uh, you know, modern day psychics and tarot card readers and whatnot, what they do today. He says, uh, woe to you women who do this because you ensnare people's lives. You know, you're telling them lies and you're ensnaring their lives. And it says, you will ensnare the lives of my people, um, but preserve your own. Oh, no, let me back up. It says, will you ensnare the lives of my people, but preserve your own? In other words, he's saying, you know, will you lie to my people and do, and do this, sending them down a dark path, but your own life is going to be preserved? In verse 19, it says, you profane me among my people for uh, handfuls of barley and scraps of bread. You put those to death who should not die and spare those who should not live when you lie to my people who listen to lies. It says, when you're telling these people these lies that are coming out of your own imagination, it says, you're profaning me. <laughs> the Lord is saying, you're profaning me when you do this. And you do this for, for what? for a little money. So he is not happy with the false prophets. He is not happy what they do in his name. He is not happy when they just make things up out of their own imagination in order to, uh, to appease the people, in order to please the people, to tell them what they want to hear instead of telling them what they need to hear. In chapter 14, it goes on to say, idolatrous elders punished. Verse 1, some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and have put their sinful, st uh, their sinful stumbling blocks in front of themselves. Should I actually let them inquire of me? Now, this is an interesting question. It says, son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and have put their sinful stumbling blocks in front of themselves. Now, they don't, need, they don't know that they're doing this, right? They're, they're, they're voluntarily, voluntarily putting these stumbling blocks in front of them without knowing it. But the first part is the one that gets me. He says, these men have set up idols in their hearts. What's an idol? An idol is anything that we place above God. Anything that we place in importance above God is an idol. And so he's saying that, these men, these elders, have idols in their hearts. Suffice it to say, idols in the hearts of men and women today run rampant. Even those of us who believe in the Lord, we can have idols in our heart. We got to be honest with ourselves. We have to look at ourselves objectively. You know, do I have idols in my heart? Is money an idol in my heart? You know, is the acquisition of love of another an idol in my heart? Is my family an idol in my heart? Is seeking pleasure an idol in my heart? Is my career an idol in my heart? All of these things, these are idols. And the Lord is asking Ezekiel a question. 
Should I actually let them inquire of me? In other words, should I let a person who has an idol in their heart inquire of me? Verse 4, therefore, speak to them and tell them this. This is what the Lord says. When anyone from the house of Israel sets up idols in his heart and puts his sinful stumbling blocks in front of himself and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him appropriately. It says, uh, I will answer him according to his many idols so that I may take hold of the house of Israel by their hearts. And then it says, they are all estranged from me because of their idols. In other words, the Lord is saying, I do not know them. Because of their idols, I do not know them. We got a lot of people praying to the Lord and whatnot with a whole bunch of idols in their heart. And the Lord is telling them, I do not know them. I do not know you. I don't want him to tell me that. I don't want to go to him in all sincerity with idols in my heart and have him respond to me, I do not know you. That's some heavy stuff. In verse 6, Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord says, Repent and turn away from your idols. Turn your faces away from all your detestable things. Now, interestingly enough, I think this is the first time that we've seen the word repent in the Bible thus, thus far. It's all throughout the New Testament. Um, but repentance, uh, has it's been my belief and understanding that repentance wasn't a term used for Old Testament times, you know, but anyway. And so um, in verse seven, for when anyone from the house of Israel or from the aliens who reside in Israel separates himself from me, setting up idols in his heart and putting his sinful stumbling blocks in front of him and then comes to the prophet to inquire of me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. It says, I will turn against that one and make him a sign and a proverb. Uh, he's going to make that person a proverb. He's going to make that person a saying that people will use as an example of what not to do. It says, I will cut him off from among my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So the Lord said, if you come to me to inquire of me with idols in your heart, I will cut you off from my people. Then you will know I am God. <clears throat> Next section says four devastating judgments. In verse 12, it says, the Lord, um, excuse me, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, suppose a land sins against me by acting faithlessly. So this is the sin of the land. This is the crime, excuse me, the crime of the land is that the people were acting faithlessly. That's the crime. Then it says, and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its supply of bread, to send famine through it, and to wipe out both people and animals from it. And so he says, you know, suppose, um, I think I said the title of this is Four Devastating Judgments. And so he's saying, suppose that this is what the people did, and I stretched out my hand against it to cut off the supply of bread and to send famine through it. He says, suppose I did that because they were faithless and they were acting that way. In verse 15 it says, suppose I allow dangerous animals to pass through the land and depopulate it, <laughs> you know, eat people, <laughs> so that uh, it becomes desolate. See, with no one passing through it for fear of the animals. He says, if, if the people were acting without faith, well, suppose I did this. And then he says, well, or suppose I bring a sword against that land 
and say, let the sword pass through it so that I wipe out both people and animals from it. So I'm going to wipe out, you know, anything alive <laughs> from this land because of, uh, because of how the people were behaving. He said, suppose I did that. And then he said, or suppose I send a plague into that land and pour out my wrath on it uh, with bloodshed to wipe out both people and animals from it. You know? and so he's got these uh, four things he was asking Ezekiel. Ezekiel, suppose I did this because of how they behave. Suppose I did that because of how they behave. Suppose I did this because of how they behave. Then he says in verse 21, for this is what the Lord says. How much worse will it be? How much worse will it be? How much worse will it be when I send my four devastating judgments against Jerusalem, sword, famine, dangerous animals, and plague, in order to wipe out both animals and people? See, it says, this is just for people acting faithlessly. But Jerusalem, the people there have gone far beyond that. Say, so if I would wipe out the land, or send, if I would send a sword, famine, plague, or animals because of faithless behavior, how much more will I do to Jerusalem for what the detestable things that they've been doing? They've gone far beyond that. Far beyond that. First 15, excuse me, chapter 15. It says, parable of the useless vine. Then the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, how does the wood of the vine that branch among the trees of the forest compared to any other wood. So remember, we have the wood of the vine. Uh, on the vine, you have you know grapes and fruit and other things grow on the vine. He says, how does that wood compare with wood of the other? Uh, excuse me, compare with wood in other parts of the forest? In verse three, it says, can wood be taken from it to make something useful? In fact, it is put into the fire as fuel. So he says, you know, aside from what it's um, supposed to do. The only other thing you can do is throw it in the fire because it's good for nothing else. If it's not going to bear fruit like it was intended to do, it's good for nothing else. So we might as well throw it in the fire and use it as fuel. It says in verse 6, Therefore, this is what the Lord God says, Like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given uh, to the fire as fuel, so I will give up the residents of Jerusalem. So essentially in saying that if the residents, if the people aren't going to do what they're supposed to do, i.e. bear fruit, you know, be righteous, bear fruit, and, and, and do what they were created to do, then they might as well be thrown in the fire because they're good for nothing else. That, that's a sobering thought, you know. If you aren't going to do what you were designed to do, <laughs> then you're useless, you might as well be thrown into the fire. Chapter 16, this is a long chapter. Parable of God's adulterous wife. The word of the Lord came to me again. Son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices. You are to say, this is what the Lord God says to Jerusalem. As for your birth, your umbilical cord wasn't cut on the day you were born, and you weren't, um, you weren't washed clean with water. You were not rubbed with salt and wrapped in clothes. Uh, yeah, wrapped in cloths, I should say. No one cared enough about you to do even one of these things out of compassion for you. You were thrown out into the open field because you were despised on the day you were born. Dang, so the Lord is telling his people, he you know, says, you were dis uh, despised on the day you were born. You know, I, I believe he's going back here to the days of their slavery in Egypt. And then it says in uh, verse 6, 
I passed by you and saw you were thrashing around in your blood, and I sent um and I said to you as you lay in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you as you lay in your blood, live. So the Lord is telling, look, nobody cared about you, but I came along and saw you. And I said, no, don't you die. Don't you die on me. You live. And then it says in verse 7, I made you thrive like the plants of the field. Uh, you grew up and matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew, but you were stark naked. Then I passed by you and saw you, and you were indeed at the age for love. So I spread the uh, edge of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I pledged myself to you, entered into a covenant with you. This is the declaration of the Lord God, and you became mine. And so he's making this analogy of a man and a wife getting married. See, He says, I came along, I saw you, I saw the condition you were, I took care of you and whatnot, and you became beautiful, and then we made covenant and I made you mine. You are now my people. Then it says in verse 9, I washed you with water, rinsed, uh, rinsed off your blood, and anointed you with oil. I clothed you in uh, embroidered cloth and provided you with fine leather sandals. I also wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you uh, with jewelry, putting bracelets on your wrists and a necklace around your neck. I put a ring in your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So, uh, so you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was made of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil. You became extremely beautiful and obtained royalty. Wow. Went from nothing to being kings and queens. And it says in verse 14, Your fame spread among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor which I had bestowed on you. This is the declaration of the Lord. So he's telling them in metaphorical terms what has happened to them. But in verse 15, this is what it says. But you trusted in your beauty and acted like a prostitute because of your fame. You lavished your sexual favors on everyone who passed by. Your beauty became his. He's saying, you know, we were supposed to be intimate here, but others came along, other gods or other idols came along, and you started to become intimate with them. See, he's drawing this, this analogy between sex and intimacy and how we're supposed to be. It says in verse 16, you took some of your clothing and made colorful high places for yourself, and you engaged in prostitution on them. These places should not have been built, and this should never have happened. In verse 17, he says, You also took your beautiful jewelry made from the gold and silver I had given you, and you made male images so that you could engage in prostitution with them. I think what he's referencing here is that out of gold and silver, you made, uh, metaphorically, I would assume, you know, male phallic symbols, you know, and engaged in sex with them. You took what I gave you out of love and you turned it into something obscene. And then it says in verse 18, then you took your embroidered clothing, clothing uh, to cover them and set my oil and incense before them. See, he says, you set my oil and incense before them. The food that I gave you, the fine flour, oil, and honey that I fed you, you set it before them as a pleasing aroma. That is what happened. This is the declaration of the Lord. All the things I said I gave you uh, to worship me with, 
you took those things and you started worshiping something else. You took what I gave you and are misusing it with something else. Then it says in verse 20, you even took your sons and daughters, bore to me and sacrificed them to these images as food. Wasn't your prostitution enough? He says, you even took my babies and you took them to Molech. You took them on the hilltop and you sacrificed my babies. You sacrificed your children to this God. And then it says in verse 21, excuse me, you slaughtered my children and gave them up when you passed them through the fire to the images. You see, they took them up on the hilltop to Molech and they sacrificed them in the fire, sacrificed their babies in the fire. In verse 22, it says, in all your detestable practices and acts of prostitution, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were stark naked and thrashing around in your blood. You did not remember the days before I came along and saved you. See, all that was now out the window. You forgot all about that now that you're with these other lovers. In verse 25, it says, you built your elevated place at the head of every street and turned your beauty into a detestable thing. It says, you spread your legs to everyone who passed by and increased your prostitution. If that is not graphic, I don't know what else is. He's saying anything that passed by, you spread your legs to. You made yourself available to any foreign god or idol that came along. It didn't matter. It says, you engaged in promiscuous acts with Egyptian men, your well-endowed neighbors, and increased your prostitution to anger me. I mean, is he, is he making this clear? <laughs> then he says, then you engaged in prostitution with the Assyrian men because you were not satisfied. See, it's in there, the Egyptian men weren't enough. So now you went over and you, and you started prostituting yourself with, with other gods, with somebody else. It says, even though you did this with them, you were still not satisfied. Verse 29 says, so you extended your prostitution to Chaldea, the land of merchants, but you were not even satisfied with that. So he says, you spread your legs to the Egyptians, to the Assyrians, to the Chaldeans, but none of that was satisfactory. In verse 30, it says, how your heart was inflamed with lust, but you were unlike a prostitute because you scorned payment. So he's saying, you did all of this stuff and you didn't even get paid. See, unlike a prostitute who's doing what she's doing in order to get paid to, to earn a living and, and whatnot, you weren't even doing it for that. <laughs> you weren't even doing it for that. You're doing it because you wanted to. You were doing it because you were full of lust. Then it says in verse 32, you adulterous, you adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave gifts to all your lovers. <laughs> Men pay for prostitution, but no, you were paying them to have sex with you. You were paying them, you see. This is far worse than prostitution. It says, you bribe them to come to you from all around for your sexual favors. Verse 34, so you were the opposite of other women in your acts of prostitution. No one solicited you. He says, when you paid a fee instead of being paid, instead of one being paid to you, you were the opposite. You were the opposite of the, of the prostitutes who do things because they have to earn money to earn a living. Says you were the opposite of that. 
In verse 35, he says, Therefore, you prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Because your lust was poured out and your nakedness exposed by your acts of prostitution with your lovers, and because of all your detestable idols and the blood of your children that you gave to them, I am therefore going to gather all the lovers uh, you pleased, all those you loved, as well as all those you hated. I will gather them against you from all around and expose your nakedness to them so they see you completely naked. Uh, I will judge you the way adulteresses and those uh, who shed blood are judged. Then I will bring about the shedding of your blood in jealous wrath. I will hand you over to them and they will demolish your mounds and tear down your elevated places. They will strip off your clothes, take your beautiful jewelry, and leave you stark naked. They will bring a mob against you to stone you and to cut you to pieces with their swords. They will burn your houses and execute judgments against you in the sight of many women. I will stop you from being a prostitute and you will never again pay fees for lovers. I will also satisfy my wrath against you and my jealousy will turn away from you. Then I will be calm and no longer angry. I guess the Lord's going to do a work on the prostitution. And we drop down to verse 62, and it says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord, so that when I make atonement for uh, all you have done, you will remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth again because of your disgrace. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Thusly the Lord has spoken. We're going to stop today. Uh, we'll pick it up in chapter 17 tomorrow. Um, Jesus, never forget Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm anxious. I love the Old Testament, uh, but I'm anxious to get to the New Testament so we can start covering Jesus and his ministry and, and whatnot. But now is not the time. We're working our way. We're almost there. We're getting close. And so don't forget Jesus. If you haven't invited him into your heart, to be your Lord and Savior, or I should say to be your Savior, Savior and Lord, because you get saved first, then he becomes the Lord of your life. Do it today. There's no reason to procrastinate. There's no reason to put it off. Tomorrow's not promised. We don't know. The word says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Everybody have a blessed day. Take care. Stay safe. Bye-bye.